Hello, everybody, and welcome into today's episode of Around the Slice. We are back for the staple day after Bills game reaction. But before we get to the reaction, as I'm sure you heard right now, we have some huge breaking now news out of one Bills drive out of Orchard Park. That, of course, is the Bills, Buffalo Bills, have fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. Now I'm going to get into why they fired him, the positives of firing him, who's going to replace him, and what the path is going forward, and just really break down my overall thoughts on it. So let's get into it. Breaking news, Bills fired Ken Dorsey, as I just said. I think this needed to happen. Honestly, this needed to happen like two weeks ago because the offense was struggling and it was just getting worse. Now, yes, as you could say last night, as I get into with the actual reaction part and recap, you could say last night against the Broncos, Dorsey kind of had a somewhat good game plan. It was just the players not executing this and that. Yes, but I'll counter that with this. If it's continue, if you're continuing to say to yourself, the players need to execute, the players need to execute, and eventually it needs to go back to offensive coordinator. If it's continually the players need to execute, well, they can only execute so much. The offense coordinator, Ken Dorsey, needs to put them in the position, best position possible, to execute. My three biggest complaints with Ken Dorsey. These aren't in order. These are just, like, overall arching. Number one, he was he adjusted way, way too late. The few times he did adjust, he adjusted way, way too late. He didn't go up-tempo nearly early enough in games. He didn't mix up the playbook nearly enough, play calls, whatever you want to call it. He always waited to the last four, five minutes of the fourth quarter, like the last five or six weeks, and that was just too little too late. Like, dude, you got to change a game plan way earlier. Start the game up-tempo. Start the game with low huddle. Don't finally go to it and, oh, what do you know? It magically works within the last five minutes of the game when we finally do it. So that's further Ken Dor- first my complaint with Ken Dorsey. Complaint number two. I kind of allude to this in the other complaint. They kind of t- go hand-in-hand and tie together, if you will. He wasn't nearly creative enough. So boring. The word innovative, I feel like, wasn't in the dictionary for him because he was not innovative in the least. Do you see Miami's a perfect example of Mike McDaniel, young coach on the rise, they go tons of pre-step motion with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. They do a ton of window dressing, as you, if you will, as you would call it. And that just means trying to confuse defenses. They don't know if it's a run or a pass play action. And speaking of play action, I didn't see a single play action. And I'm not even kidding. I think there was only like one play action, if that, throughout the entire game last night for Ken Dorsey. That's not on the players. Ken Dorsey calls the formation. Ken Dorsey calls the plays. He decides whether it's shotgun. He decides whether Josh is under center. He decides whether they run play action or not. And he barely ever, especially last night, ran play action. And the defense knew what was coming. Ken Dorsey's offense was very, and offensive play calling for that matter, was very, very predictable. They didn't do any pre-snap motion. They didn't do any window dressing. They didn't do any play action to throw defensive alignments off. None of that. The defense knew what was coming, and that was that. They just knew. And then, complaint number three um, I have with Ken Dorsey 
it's just like Sean McDermott always says, complimentary football this, complimentary football that. Well, Ken Dorsey didn't know complimentary football at all because when the run was finally working, like not last night in particular, like in general, the last five or six game skid, if you want to even call it that. Actually, I will call it that because horrible performances, even in wins. Um, when the run was working, he went away from it. And then he would run, Dorsey this is, he would call run plays and they, he would run at the most inopportune, the most stupidest times. Like he finally runs when it's second and 20. So you haven't ran all night. You went away from it when it was working. And then when it's second and 20, you run the ball. That's, I'm sorry, that's just crap management and crap play calling. So three biggest complaints with Ken Dorsey. Let's recap them. Number one. Oh, no, I got Um, number one, he adjusted way too late and he didn't scheme his stars open. Other than Duncan Gate touchdown, he gate, uh, Stefan Diggs only had three catches last night, I believe three or four for like under 50 yards. I know he's covered by Pat Sertan, but still move around the field. So that's number one. Number two, Ken Dorsey, way too boring, not creative enough, not innovative with his play calling in the least. And number three, Sean McDermott all such as complimentary football, and Ken Dorsey's doing the total opposite, goes away from the run when it's actually working, and chucks the ball downfield with Josh Allen, and runs in second 20, runs on times where it makes zero sense in the world. So that's just my thoughts on the whole Ken Dorsey. That's the body of work up until now. Now let's talk about who's going to replace him. That is current quarterbacks coach Joe Brady, so, obviously, he has a great relationship with Josh Allen. So, current quarterbacks coach Joe Brady is going to be the interim offensive coordinator and play caller. And I endorse this move. I hope he stays on staff, honestly, past this year. Well, I mean, I hope he doesn't go back to quarterback coach. I hope he stays as offensive coordinator. because It gets promoted to uh, permanent offensive coordinator. Because, let me rewind it three or four years back. Uh, four years. He was the... Offensive coordinator in 2019 for LSU when that when they won the national championship. Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, Jamar Chase, Clyde Regalier, star-studded team, two superstar wide receivers, a superstar quarterback, first-round pick running back, and a third-round wide receiver in Terrace Marshall. So he knows. And then yes, everyone's going to say the Panthers tenor. Matt will fired him after just a year, if that. I thought he was wrongfully fired from the Panthers, and Matt Rule was fired just a year later as well. So, but then he comes to Buffalo. I feel like he's the perfect play guard because he's been around superstars before. He knows how to scheme superstars open. He's even though it's at the college level, he's been around superstar receivers before and Jamar Chase and, and Justin Jefferson. Now he's going to be around Stefan Diggs. I think he's going to be able to scheme them open. I really do. Dorsey didn't involve Diggs enough. He didn't know how to scheme his stars, even superstars, open. So I think Brady's going to be – Joe Brady, that is, is going to be much more balanced in his play calling and attack methods throughout the week and all that. And during games, especially in scheme, the superstar Stefan Diggs open. And I hope he gets more design runs with Josh Halen going. Now, what does the future look like for this? This might – I don't want to say tarnish the legacy of the Bills, but if they're firing Ken Dorsey midseason, potential offensive coordinator candidates might not want to come here. There's been talk of how the Dable and McDermott – Era the tenor, it was strenuous to say the least. What's that word? Tenuous? I, I don't know. Uh, it was they were both stressed to say the least. They didn't work well together. They didn't mix, if you will. 
towards the end. Just wasn't a good relationship towards the end. So there's been chatter of McDermott being hard to work with. So in that scenario, if there's no options, I really hope Joe Brady stays on as offensive coordinator. Now, as for Sean McDermott, now you're saying, how does Sean McDermott tie into this? First of all, he's the head coach. So before I get to, like, who made this decision, final decision this morning on firing Ken Dorsey, I want to get into McDermott, how it lists his defensive coordinator duties. This has been my season. This has been, like, when they started the skid, my um, big topic of concern, if you will, uh, significance, if you want to even say that, that I think Sean McDermott needs to hire an actual defensive coordinator next year, whether that's promoting one of Al Holcomb or Eric Washington or even Bobby Babich, preferably Al Holcomb because he has a ton of experience, or an outside hire, whoever it may be. I think he has to get an actual defensive coordinator because obviously, yes, Andy Reid calls the plays for the Chiefs. Awesome coach. Sean Payton calls the plays for the Broncos. Awesome coach. Both very good coaches in their own right, respectively, Reid and Payton there. Um. But obviously, getting back to my initial thought, Sean McDermott can't call the defense and offense. And I feel like since he's so focused, he says he can handle both, but I feel like behind the scenes, since he's so focused on the defense, he's so rigid with the defense, he can't focus as enough on the offense. What I'm trying to say is I want him to hire, and it should hire, an actual defensive coordinator so he can have a, more of a balanced eye on the offense as well and focus and be involved with the offense more and more. So I feel like he just needs to be – his hand in both, and right now he has his hand, obviously, maybe not a lot more, but more nonetheless in the defense since he has defensive coordinator and play card. Now, as I alluded before, who actually made this final decision on Ken Dorsey being fired? I, I know people might say, whoa, Sean McDermott, right? He's the head coach. Actually, I have a hot take. I don't think it was Sean McDermott. I don't think it was Brandon Bean. I think the final say came down to the man on top of all of it, owner of the Buffalo Bills. Tim, why do I always say Tim Pagula? Terry Pagula. Um, yeah, I think him, not Sean McDermott, not Brandon Bean, owner, man up top, Terry Pagula. Because if you take the nuggets that Sean McDermott said last week, he was asked by multiple media members multiple different times over multiple different days, is there going to be a change in Ken Dorsey's role? Is there going to be a change in offensive play calling? Are you considering doing this with Ken Dorsey, that with Ken Dorsey? He goes, no. The explanation just flat out, no, multiple occasions. So that's why I think this wasn't McDermott's call. Sure, maybe he had a tiny hand in it or a small hand that is, but I don't think this was McDermott's call because he was so focused on not changing Dorsey's role. He was so loyal to Dorsey. He defended him in press conferences and all that. He didn't get snarky or anything, but no, 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 we're not changing this or that. I think this really did come down to Terry Pagula up top and say, Sean, this has fallen off the rails. You need to make a change, and you need to fire Ken Dorsey. Like, you need to – he probably didn't say wake up, but, like, you need to – Fire Ken Dorsey, or something's gonna have to happen. Maybe you get fired too. Uh, maybe not that far, but I think this really did come Terry become Terry from Terry Pagula. So that's just what I think on the whole Ken Dorsey situation. So what did I talk about? I broke down what I think of Ken Dorsey being fired, how it affects the offense, the body of work up until now. My three biggest complaints of Ken Dorsey: who takes over? Who is Joe Brady? What's he about? And then my future as it relates to the future as it relates to Sean McDermott and the future as in who's going to be calling plays next year and onward and who this came down from, which, again, I do think it's Terry Pagula based on Sean McDermott's comments and just how this team is operating, kind of, let's be honest, falling off the rails. So, anyway, 
let's get so that's the little Ken Dorsey talk there. Uh, let's get into this actual game, the recap big chunk of the episode today and around the slice. So, unfortunately, Broncos beat the Bills 24 to 22. They lost in the most heartbreaking fashion possible. It's really emotional to talk about. <laughs> really hard to talk about here. I, I'm going to go over it quick, but basically, here's what happened. <clears throat> the Broncos march on down, and they throw it up to Jerry Judy, and Taron Johnson gets called for P.I. Now, I'm a guy that has been, the rest have been horrible for the Bills the last handful of games. The rest have been this, the rest have been that. I'm well documented on this podcast. I do think it was a P.I. defensive pass interference by Taron Johnson. Um, he's on an island one-on-one -on -one with Jerry Judy, and he basically has his hand on his chest, preventing him from catching the ball because he would have caught it. So anyway, and then the Broncos line up for a field goal. Will Lutz, the field goal kicker, misses it. But <laughs> this is the sad part. But the Bills have 12 players on the field of defense. Terrell Bernard's trying to get off or on, whatever it is, get off the field the very last second, and he didn't get off in time. And that's just inexcusable. And then they give him five, ten more yards. Ten-yard penalty, I think it was. And Will Lutz makes it with ease right down the middle. And they win 24-22. I'm not afraid to admit this. Um, there's only been two times that the Bills have made me cry in my fandom. First, 13 seconds. We all know that. I will never, ever get that out of my memory. Unfortunately, and this was the second time they made me cry. This was heartbreaking, especially because I knew going to five and five and the landscape of the AFCs, let alone the landscape of the whole AFC, it, it was over. Like in the AFC, you need probably 11, 10, maybe even probably 11 to get in the playoffs as even a wild card team, and it's over. Teams like the Texans are heating up with CJ Stroud. The Steelers don't look overly impressive in any game, but they keep on trudging along and winning somehow. The Jets are somehow, somehow still in it with Zach Wilson. The Raiders, Antonio Pierce has motivated them. Devontae Adams is happy again. And the Bengals and the Browns and the Ravens, the whole AFC North is just the juggernaut. So right now, you're like the 10th or 11th best team in the AFC. So that's why you kind of broke down last night, Greg, because I don't want to get into it further, but. I mean, I knew it was over. This was, this was it. If we had lost game over, our season's done. And I truly do feel, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I truly do feel that the pressure has finally gotten to the Bills. For the last four years, Super Bowl this, Super Bowl that, Super Bowl or bust, blah, blah, blah. I feel like it's caught up to them. They finally reached a breaking point. I feel like it's going off the rails. I feel like this whole thing is coming, crashing down right in front of our eyes. And I feel like that Earth NFL has finally caught up to them. Just like I said, their offense is predictable. Josh Allen is playing some of the worst football in his career. The numbers don't say it, but if you watch the games, he is. Well, of the Josh and Elite era, throw 2018-19 out the window. But 20 through 23, he is. Um, it's, it's it's sad, but I think it's finally caught up to them. And this team, I'll keep saying it, they just look so uptight. The Super Bowl boss mantra from outside noise. They say they don't listen to outside noise, but come on, they do. They look so uptight. They don't have fun. They're not like the Cole Beasy, John Brown, Devin Singletary, Josh Allen days, that core four, if you will, was 
fun. That was an electric team. They were just coming up under Sean McDermott. They were fun. They were playing a fun style of football. And I feel like this year, especially, it's all been sapped away. I mean, did you see on Twitter or whatever social media, I guess, of D'Amico Ryans and Cedar Shaw lit up? I know D'Amico is a first-year coach. Cedar Shaw is a rookie. But they were that locker room was on fire after they beat the Bengals shooting and hollering and everything. They The Bills need to get back to that. The Raiders, both wins under Intermat coach Antonio Pierce, lighting cigars, lighting them up and having cigars in the locker room after. I'm saying after that, but show some emotion. Like, if you win, celebrate. If you lose, like, so, show some urgency. It's just not fun anymore watching the Bills. The Bills, this Bills team just looks tired after all these years. They just look worn out. They just look uptight. They just look wound up. I, I don't even know. And McDermott has no emotion at all. He's the same boring guy in these press conferences. Win or lose, he doesn't let his guys celebrate. And when they lose, he sounds like he doesn't have enough urgency. I mean, he gives those basic answers in press conference. Well, we didn't score enough points tonight. Well, we didn't score more points than our team. Yeah, thanks, Sean. I'll lead with my story with that if you read it. The newspapers will lead their stories at that, that the Bills didn't score more points than the other team. That That's really hurting analysis. But this team just has an uptightness about them. they got to get back to playing winning, yes, but fun football. Like, get back to those days of three years ago. Like, it's finally caught up to them, the pressure. Anyway, there's my little speech there, I guess. Um, That's just how I feel, and now I feel like it's just over. This too little, too late to fire the offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, and bring on Joe Brady. I mean, the AFC's tough, man. In the NFC, 5-5, five five, you're still totally in it. But this is the AFC. Unfortunately, the Bills aren't in the weaker, weak NFC. They're in the AFC. Because the NFC really is 49ers, Eagles, Lions, maybe Cowboys, I guess. But that's about it for true, true contenders. The AFC for true, true contenders has, like, the Chiefs and Ravens, and that's about it. But it's stacked. Like, there's only two teams, the Titans and... Patriots, 15, 16 seeds respectively, that are totally out of it. They both had two two wins for the Patriots, three wins for the Titans. Um, what was I saying? And one through fourteen are totally in it. In the they they all have four wins at least. So this is not good, guys. Anyway, um, if it sounds depressing, it's like this. I'm finally coming into realization that this season is over because I am like sad about this. Like, Oh geez. You like, you build your career around talking about this team, like not to make this emotional or anything, but you build your career around talking about this team. You build your life around rooting for this team. Like I'm about to turn 20 years old. I got into football when I was about 11 or 12. So for eight or nine years, give or take, this team, the Buffalo Bills, have been my life. Like, they're my favorite thing in the world, other than my family, obviously, but they're my favorite thing in the world. Like, I love talking about them. That's why I created this podcast. I love rooting for them. And, like, every Sunday, they just give us this boring, or I guess Monday, they give us this boring product. They don't deserve to be in prime time. It's just, I don't know. This team has just lost focus. This team just looks crumbled. They just look devastated. I, I don't know. When you build a career and root for a team for so long, it's just unfortunate for every year for it to end this way. We're so close yet so far away every single year, losing the AFC Championship, losing the divisional round, losing the divisional round, and then your season's already over in week after week 10. I mean, let's face the reality. It is. So, anyway, getting off my soapbox, let's talk about the um, actual game. 
Bills in active pregame now. Safety Mike Guy and cornerback Christian Benford. I don't think I said it on here because my episode was before they ruled out, but like for a team that already doesn't have Daquan Jones, starting defensive tackle, starting linebacker Matt Milano, starting corner Trey White, a depth corner as a former first round pick, Kyrie Ulam on IR. And then Ed Oliver has missed a game. Greg Rousseau has missed games. So you have intermittent injuries there as well. AJ Klein and Bale Inspector have missed a game. There's not a single player. Once again, the only player that hasn't missed a game on this defense, and I'm not even kidding, is um, Taron Johnson. Like, he's been the picture of health. And, yeah, uh, linebacker, Bale Inspector, defensive tackle, Puna Ford, offensive line, Jermaine Fetty, and Alec Anderson. Who cares about Fetty Anderson? But, Linebacker, Bill Inspector, I guess they chose to go with experience in this game because they knew what this season was at stake for AJ Klein. I am hoping, though, Bill Inspector can be, like, the next Tyler Manikavich for us, especially team stalwart for, like, the next five or six years. He signs, like, after his rookie deals up, he signs, like, one or two-year deals to stay on this team every year for special teams purposes. But Puna Ford, I'll get into this later. I just don't understand, like, what the purpose of him bringing in. He's only played, like, two games this year. Uh, injuries. Cam Lewis got banged up at the end of the game, did not return to this game, did not return to the game at all. It was like the second to last series of games, so I guess it wasn't too dramatic of an injury. I think it was another one of those stingers. He hasn't missed any games, which is good, but he's a special teams ace. He's one of our special teams gunners, around with Ceran Neal on our team. Uh, he can play outside corner, although he hasn't done it since UB in college. University of Buffalo, so a local kid again. Um, outside corner, slot, slash nickel corner, so Terrence back up, and then strong or free safety, preferably free. But he's a hardening kid too, so he's been a staple on this team for special teams reasons. So Stock up. Now, this is the positive part, and then unfortunately we got to get back to negative, but stock up. Um, running back James Cook, 12 carries, 109 yards, and he also had two catches and 11 yards in a he did have a fumble. He actually had two fumbles, but the first one was um, totally on him. Very first play of the game. Literally 10 seconds in the game, he fumbles, turn over. But luckily, the Broncos only got a field goal out of it. And what was I saying? And then the second fumble, he was had like a 40-yard run, and he lost the ball, but it bounced off the ground right up back into his arms. He would have easily had a touchdown if he didn't have ball security issues there. So... That's James Cook. I'm going to talk about, like, the whole Sean McDermott, like, excuse me, the whole Sean McDermott treatment, like, how he basically set bench him for 16 plays and all that. Uh, but um, that lit a fire under under him, apparently, for, because he was back and effective. Now, running back Latavius Murray, nine carries, 68 yards, one touchdown on the ground, and two catches for one. Um, I've not been a fan of Latavius Murray for – multiple weeks now for a handful of games because he I kept saying stressing he can't even do what he's brought in to do like you hand it off to him on third and one and try to ice the game against the Bucane the box on that Thursday night football game a couple weeks ago on prime video and he got tackled behind the line for a loss a two-yard loss he just need to fall forward for one and he did that a few different times but I think I don't know if Leonard Fernandez gets elevated the next week or two because they have James Cook and um Lakeus Murray leading the way <clears throat> Tight end, Dalton Kincaid, five catches, 51 yards, one touchdown. And yes, he leaked out of that. He leaked out of the out of the backfield or whatever you want to call it and basically just ran through the demons. No one even saw him in that one touchdown. But again, it was too little too late. 
Like, I know it was only a two-point loss, but once again, Ken Dorsey's scheming his stars. Don King is not a star across the league, for, but, but for this Bills team, he's a budding star, so I'll just call him that. Ken Dorsey can't scheme his stars early enough and scheme his guys open, but Kincaid, awesome. And then linebacker Terrell Bernard, 13 tackles and one sack. He did have a concussion coming into tonight. Thank God that didn't look like he was being affected because Marvin Mims probably would destroy us in the slot or little Jordan Humphrey, I guess. Um, and Javante Williams, which he did destroy us, by the way. He had almost 100 yards rushing. He had like almost 50 yards receiving and receiving touchdown. But linebacker Terrell Bernard was good. Def a few defensive linemen, defensive end Leonard Floyd, three tackles, one tackle for loss. Defensive end Greg Rousseau, six tackles, one sack, two QB hits. Now, I think Greg Rousseau is still having that foot injury linger, but the last handful of games, last like four or five games, let's say, he did actually miss the game because of that foot injury way earlier in the year. But it looked like it had affected him. When he came back, he was playing through an injury. But it sounds like he's finally shaking that, and maybe a little bit, but he's – Get still getting back, but found like he's finally broke through the mold, if you will. Uh, and then last defense lineman or defensive end, defensive end AJ Apanesa, who recorded three tackles, one half sacks, and three QB hits. He's up to six sacks on the year. If he gets one more, he'll beat his career high, which he had a very quiet six and a half sacks last year. I still think he's going to price himself out of Buffalo. I would like to see him play more, though, but maybe it's like a Tremaine Edmonds situation, not nearly as much money, but like he'll probably. I'm going. I'm willing to go up to like eight million with Adrian Panessa. Or if he wants like more than that, especially double digits, it's not gonna happen. Defensive tackle at Oliver, four tackles. No, I know he didn't have any many QB pressures or whatnot, but he was winning his one on ones, especially in that first half, consistently. He was bulldozing guys, whether it was double teams, but mainly one on ones. He was pancaking offensive linemen to the ground. Um, the Broncos offensive line didn't really play that well. Excuse me, I was covering my mouth there. The Broncos, what I was saying, the Broncos offensive line didn't really play that well. I know we only had four sacks the night, but we should have had probably like seven or eight because there were multiple pressure looks that we just didn't finish. Uh, corner Rasul Douglas, six tackles and one fumble recovery. He played physical, even though Cortland Sun had that magician touchdown, but dragged his feet. I don't know how, but that was Taylor Rapp with horrible coverage. Not horrible, but it was pretty bad. Rasul Douglas coming in, fresh face. If you will. Um, so six tackles, one fumble recovery, and then safety Jordan Poyer, nine tackles. After he kind of quote unquote struggled in the first three games of the season, he's bounced back. People were questioning if this is his worst season of his career. Uh we're seeing that Buffalo Bill, and clearly that was an exaggeration. So uh and then defensive coordinator Sean McDermott is stock up. Now I don't want to get my words, don't twist my words here. Or don't get my words twisted here, I should say. There is two Sean McDermott's I'm looking at. Sean McDermott, the defensive coordinator, and Sean McDermott, the head coach. Sean McDermott, the defensive coordinator, big stock up. Yes, the defense eh, petered out the last couple of drives, but they were tight. What do you expect? That helped up. They have to bail out the offense every freaking second. But Sean McDermott, the defensive coordinator, although he did blitz up way too much for my liking at the end, he had these guys flying around. He had these guys pressuring Russell Wilson every two seconds. Although they couldn't get him on the ground, he had him pressuring. He had the quarterbacks in his in covers to make a play. Although I don't like that Taron Johnson was on an island way too much throughout the night in the last handful of games. 
one-on-one. But I thought Sean McDermott, defensive coordinator, was very aggressive and very good. The, and then second, the defense, lastly, still playing really well through a bunch of major injuries. Now, they're not really well across the league, but they're really well for their standards. For only the stars being like – for only like having three or four starters out of literally everybody, very, very well. This defense deserves so, so much better, man. They're bailing out this offense every single drive. The offense is turning the ball over. The defense, and then the defense is holding the Broncos to three or zero or no points. And then the defense finally got a fumble recovery. It's only their second fumble recovery since week four against the Dolphins. They still don't have an interception in the last six games, but two fumble recoveries, so that's good. But this defense deserves to be better. They're literally held together by duct tape. Like I said, only three or four regular scheduled starters out there. So, uh, next, these guys didn't play terrible, but they weren't impressed, overly impressive either. Just kind of were with eh, ordinary cornerback Taron Johnson, seven tackles. He's been stuck in this mixed category for the last like three or four weeks, and unfortunately, it's because pressure doesn't come. He's he's on he's on an island a lot, whether it's Jerry Judy or was Cortland Sutton last night, or it was Chris Godwin the other week against the Bucks. Against the box, uh, Buccaneers, I should say. He's on an island a lot, and when you're on an island one on one, eventually you're going to get picked on, and that's what happened last night. Minus a couple good plays, he had that one DPI, which unfortunately I do agree with. Looking back at it, it wasn't egregious, but it definitely was pass interference. DPI again stands for defense pass interference. So yeah, he's on an island a lot. I don't blame him too much, but mixed and then mixed dane jackson four tackles the first quarter was great but after that it kind of went downhill for him he didn't have any flags but he had some lapses in coverage this is my concern with dane jackson he's not overly athletic he doesn't really have ball skills he's not very he can be physical at times he's very physical in the one game but physical coverage one-on-one not not his game and ideally you get a way better corner than this um because he can be a spot starter for you once in a while a few games here and there, if you will, but ideally he doesn't start, but he's had to. So mixed, and then obviously Ken Dorsey's gone now. I explained it in the beginning, but Ken Dorsey is gone now, but he was in mixed from last night as well. I'm not going to rehash this. But when you keep saying, players, players, execution, 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 you keep saying that to yourself and out loud, eventually the it goes back to offense coordinator. Ken Dorsey has to put these guys in positions to execute. You can't just say execution every game, but like Sean McDermott. <laughs> so, but Taylor Bagula took the reins here and fired Ken Dorsey. Knockdown. These guys were really disappointing. Either they had a disappointing game, they really did some stupid stuff, or I expected one thing from them and they just disappointed all my expectations. Quarterback Josh Allen, he was 15 of 26, 58% completion percentage. It's pretty ugly. For someone who leads the league in completion percentage at 72%, about 177 yards, one touchdown passing, two interceptions in the air, one fumble, 13 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown, though. Well, what's up with you, Josh? What's up, man? Like, clearly this shoulder injury is affecting him more than more than we want it. Like, he wants to admit. He'll never admit it, but kind of like the elbow situation last year, like I talked about last week. But it's more than that. Like, his decision-making is very, very poor right now. Like, he passes a wide-open rushing lance to launch it down the field and get an interception. The very second drive of the game, it would have been a second turnover in a row. He threw in the double coverage, and linebacker Alex Singleton did pick it, but his 
as a defender, just like receivers, you have to have when you in interception, you have to have two feet in bounds. Good thing his second foot was out of bounds. Again, Broncos linebacker Alex Singleton couldn't come down with it. But the point remains, dumb decision making by Josh. And then the one fumble where he didn't even get James Cook didn't even touch it. So that was credit Josh Allen. Like I brought up the fumble. It was his fault because it was a perfectly fine snap. He just botched the snap and literally dropped it. And the Broncos got on it. And then Josh Allen would have had it that iron dog and Alex Singleton, but he threw in a triple coverage again, and it was almost intercepted again. And then on fourth and two, now yes, Ken Dorsey, first of all, we shouldn't be throwing to Khalil Shakir. We shouldn't be trying to get 15 yards when we only need two. Make it so hard on yourselves. But if you want to do that, fine. Josh Allen rolls out. He had Khalil Shakir wide open. That would have been a 20, 25-yard gain. First down wouldn't even been a question. And he just oversells them. And then a third down, he oversailed Diggs earlier in the game, too. He had to punt. Josh just looked totally inaccurate tonight. He just looked totally, fra- I don't know what the word is. Um, He just looked totally frazzled, I guess. I don't know, but I'm getting concerned here. Um, And he already has 11 receptions through 10 games. He had, let's see, in 2021, he had 12. In 2022, he had 14. And he's leading the league or not 11. Keep this pace up. He'll get to, like, thank or 20. I mean, come on, man. Gotta be better, Josh. And then wide receiver Gabe Davis, two catches, 56 yards. I'm done. I- I've had it with him. I'm sorry. I don't care if it's harsh. Yeah, two catches, 56 yards. That's t- I-, I don't know the average. 56 divided by two. I-, I have no... I guess I can do it right now. Because um, I'm trying to figure out like what his yards per catch were. So 56 to number two is 28. So he had 28 yards per catch. Again, big play Gabe. But the most, I'm so sick in because earlier in the game, Gabe Davis had an easy 10-yard first down pass. It went right through his hands, and he caused an interception. He literally caused an interception. It went right through his hands, and the Broncos defender picked it off. And I don't want to hear people say, well, Josh threw a bullet pass. You know, he could have taken some heat off it. Um, Gabe is not a baby, right? Let's try to check. Gabe's in the NFL. He should be able to catch a bullet pass. Stop making excuses for him. Bullet pass, you know, I, I don't care if it's a bullet pass. Gabe Davis isn't a baby. He can catch a bullet pass. But apparently he can't. I'm just, stop making excuses. Like, don't point to Josh Allen on that. That was totally Gabe. Bullet pass this, bullet pass that. He t- could take heat off of it, this and that. Uh, Gabe isn't a baby. He should be able to handle a bullet pass. Stop babying him. Um, yeah, linebacker Dorian Williams, three tackles. He didn't do anything overly egregious. He did have that one obvious helmet helmet hit that was a flag. Looking back at it, that was kind of dangerous of him. Did do that on that Broncos receiver. I think it was Marvin Mims or Javon Williams. Doesn't matter. Anyway, um, but other than that, that was really egregious. But other than that, he didn't have anything too egregious, but he had the Tremaine Evans problem once again where he takes bad angles and he tries when they sub him in for Terrell Bernard, Tyrell Dotson, he's a tackling machine, but he over-pursues like Edmonds did in Buffalo. And sometimes he takes really horrible angles, not just bad, horrible angles, and just whiffs a two-yard gain turns a 20-yard gain because he whiffs a couple times. And then special teams. What the hell is going on here? This has been an underrated part of this slump for the last handful of games. 
first you have an offense struggling. Now you got to have a special teams unit struggling. First of all, Sam Martin, his only good game of the season this year is like the Bucks game. That was awesome. We had four punts and three of them he pinned inside of the 10. And the fourth one he pinned at like the 18 or something. Whatever. Um, doesn't matter. Irrelevant. Um, back to what I was saying, though. First of all, his punts, like he had one punt of a net average of 20. Like he had three punts, I believe, and the third one was a net average of 20. Whew. That's not going anywhere. And every punt he had only got to like the Broncos' 30-yard line. But then the Bills missed multiple multiple tackles on special teams. And Marvin Mims is an electric returner, but when you have the Broncos start at the rookie at Oklahoma, I wish they would use him more on offense. It's just a general fantasy football NFL fan. Whatever. Um, when you have when you're the Bills and you let the Marvin Mims and the Broncos start at their own 40 literally every single time, then what do you expect? Like you can't have them basically almost at 10 yards away from midfield and just stop him every single freaking time. Terrible punting, terrible punt coverage, terrible kick coverage, and they just let up. They clearly lost the field, field position battle by a mile. Uh, I'm not done with Stuckdown. Head coach Sean McDermott. Now, I talked about separating defensive coordinator Sean McDermott and head coach Sean McDermott because that is important. Yes, they're the same per person, but they have different duties. Defensive coordinator Sean McDermott, great. Head coach Sean McDermott, pretty boneheaded decisions. The last drive, he uses all three timeouts, which, okay, I get that. You got to stop the Broncos in case they kick a field goal. They weren't expecting the 12 men in the field. But after the game, he says, we practice going from um, we practice going from a base dime flush nickel defense to going to field goal defense slash coverage. So that's inexcusable. After, and we practice it two or three times in practice, and that's inexcusable, like I just said. But – Okay, it's inexcusable, but go back to yourself, Sean. Point at yourself. You're the head coach. You can't have Terrell Bernard trying to run off the field the very last second and get a flag thrown. They bailed up the kicker, and that's why they won the damn game. I am sorry, but Sean, what are you doing there? And then, I alluded to this before, James Cook had lit a fire under him by him getting benched. Sean McDermott does this thing where if a young player messes up one time, he did it last year, too, James Cook. He fumbled his very first carry in the NFL, and he was gone. And Dylan Singleton got the lion's share most of the snaps, the touches, if you will, the next seven or handful of games. And then he was back. Man, whatever. And then he fumbles on the very first play of the game as well, after not fumbling at all this year. And he's put in the doghouse for 16 straight plays. He's basically in fumble jail. Yeah, a player can't fumble, but take him out for a few plays and then put him back in. And if you want to know, if you don't agree with me, this is a serious guy. The Bills gave a carry to, but if I get ready for this, Ty Johnson, the third string running back. Ty Johnson before they let James Cook touch it again. Ty Johnson gets a carry before James Cook does again. Sean McDermott, stop punishing guys from young guys from making mistakes every time. Like, I know you don't want to fumble, but like, talk to him for a few plays and get him back in there. Just stupid. And then, lots, lack, lots. I've been saying this way too many times in a row now. Lack of any offensive rhythm at all. Now, I am going to talk about execution. When they finally get rhythm going, Josh gets kind of cocky with his arm and, you know, thinks he can fit it in the tightest windows and makes dumb decisions and throws it in the reception. And now it's not just interceptions, it's fumbles. He drops a snap, he can't even hand it off to James Cook. 
Lastly, oh no, not lastly, here we're still going. Um, drops for stock down. Gabe Davis went right through his hands. Now, I don't want to hear it was a bullet pass from Josh once again. Gabe isn't a baby. He can catch a football. He's in the NFL. All right, move on. Stop making excuses and baby and Gabe Davis. And by the way, James Cook got taken out for fumbling. I didn't see Gabe Davis getting taken out and having someone else on the field. I didn't see Gabe Davis getting punished on the sideline and get going to uh, jail for causing interception. No, God forbid we do that. We got to punish James Cook because it's his second year in the league and it's Gabe's fourth year in the league. And Gabe is a veteran and this and that. Can't punish him, though. Um, I'm just sick of Gabe and McDermott's handling of it. Um, but what I was saying was, and then the drops, I counted one Gabe drop on that, one Diggs drop on that. I don't care what BFF says, technical drop or not, it was a drop. One Gabe drop, one Diggs drop, one KK drop, and one Murray drop. I think there are at least five or six drops I list off that's there. I'm sure there were a couple more, but this is getting ridiculous. And lack of urgency by his offense. They always, this might cater to Kendrick's play calling. Thank God he's gone now. But he was... This offense was so slow until the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. They always score, you know. Yeah, we scored. Woo, let's celebrate. Way too late. <laughs> uh, tackling or lack of tackling on special teams, on defense, mainly Dorian Williams. Bad angles by everyone. I mean, just wow. And then lastly, the defense not being able to finish potential sacks on Russell Wilson. They got good pressure. It doesn't show up in the box score, only four sacks. I think we were lucky to get even four sacks. But this Broncos off the line was pretty underwhelming all night. We dominated them. Ed Oliver dominated his one-on-ones. Gregory Soshek, Lawson Leonard Floyd, Tyrell Dotson. There are a couple one-on-one situations where there were a swarm of bees. I call it the beehive. The whole hive was around Russell Wilson. They still couldn't get him to the ground. you got to finish. Um, My big place to the game ward, and there's not many choices here. Because no one played overly impressive, but running with James Cook, I don't give a damn that he had a fumble. I don't give a damn that Sean McDermott put him in fumble jail. I don't care. Like, screw Sean McDermott and his decision making there. Like, James Cook, player of the game. Ah, big slice of the game. Burnt slice of the game. Who disappointed me? And it's one man and one man only Josh Allen. It's, it's really annoying me. Shoulder aside, I talk about his decision-making. I talk about his gunslinger mentality. I talk about his cocky arm. He tries to, you know, this and that. I, I just don't know. And first of all, I don't think he's even too vocal enough. He says his style is not to get in guys' faces and just lead by example, and he wants to lead by his play. Well, that's clearly not working. You need to get in guys' faces. Damn it, you need to have show some emotion. God. This whole team needs to show emotion for that matter. Especially Sean McDermott. He's always impressed. Having no emotion at all. He's just as who he is. All business-like. Same old answers. Um, reflect on my five game predictions for my preview from last week. Now, late last week. Now, remember, these are prize pick player props. I don't actually bet these. Cool if you do, but I don't. I just made an account to reference these. Hope I think hopefully this makes me do better on these. Uh, I did two for the Broncos and two for the Bills in final score prediction. Javante Williams over 54 and a half rushing yards. That happened. I mean, he had 73, 83, so well over happened. Cortland Sutton, 44 and a half rushing yards. Now this didn't happen by much. He had 53, or 53 receiving yards, but that Cortland Sutton over 44 and a half receiving yards happened. And then two Bills ones. Josh Allen over 31 and a half rushing yards. Didn't happen. I hope Joe Brady has more design runs in the playbook for him. But Josh Allen's got to just say, F it. I got to scramble if my guys aren't open. 
more often. Get back to Alien that you are because he passed open multiple rushing lanes, especially last night. And then Kalu Shakir over 36 and a half receiving yards didn't happen. This would have happened probably if Josh Allen had hit him on that fourth and two. I don't even know why we're going 15 yards down the damn field on fourth and two. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why we're going uh, 15 yards on fourth and two. Make it so hard on himself. But Kalu Shakir would easily have that. Josh Allen would have hit him. Uh, Bills win the game 30 to 24. This didn't happen. The Broncos won 24 22. Demon Swain offense with special team sucks. Offense clueless. Uh, and then final thoughts, slash questions. I only have five this week because I'm just sick of talking about this. Team. Um, these are about certain position groups, certain players, certain situations, I guess. Just overall thoughts, as it says. Josh Allen's bonehead turnovers need to stop. Plain and simple. Last week was just on Samson. Now the fumbles are getting involved. Can't even handle a damn snap. Um, turnovers need to stop, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. He has 11 receptions, and like four fumbles in the year, so that's like 15 turnovers in total. I don't know. His decision making is one thing, but it's, I don't know. I don't know. And my question is, I am so scared to say this because I haven't even thought about this, but Josh Allen peaked as a QB under this current Bills regime. Have they gone as far as they can with this Bean and McDermott-Hagula relationship from top to bottom? I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's something to ponder for sure. I've had it with Gabe Davis. He can be somebody else's problem in free agents this offseason and get overpaid by them. Someone's probably going to give them, you know, 14 or $15 million per year, and I'm not comfortable giving him over 10 If he wants more than 10 see you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. I'm sorry. But people need to stop babying him. I don't care if it's a bullet pass. Once again, that, that just makes me so frustrated that people would even say that it was a bullet pass. This is the NFL. Gabe doesn't need to be babied. He's a big boy. He can catch a pass. So, yeah, he could be someone else's problem and get overpaid by that. Von Miller's lack of explosiveness and playing time continues to concern me. He's still not even starting yet which is fine, but they're giving him so much playing time. Well, not like so much, but he's playing over AJ Epinesa in late-game situations, and Van Miller is better than Epinesa, but not this year. Epinesa has proven that he needs to be in there more. He's, his snaps has dropped significantly since Van Miller has been back, and I don't know why they didn't utilize Van Miller's three-practice window. Once you open a player's practice window, you, they have a time of three weeks to be activated off IR. They opened his practice window, and he played right away against the Jaguars. Uh, next, I really don't understand why Puna Ford continues to be inactive every game. He deserves snaps and playing time over Tim Seto at the very least. Tim Seto's doing nothing. Like, I don't even know what they brought Puna Ford in for. This team is not making the playoffs. It's not happening. The season is over. It's a wrap. Ken Dorsey fired too, too late. Everything's too late. They're 5-5. Five and five. I just explained the landscape of the AFC, and it's a tough pill to swallow, but that's just what happened. Anyways, guys, um, thank you for listening to today's episode around the slice. You can follow me on Twitter personally at aynegunner13. You can follow the show on Twitter at around slice. You can watch us listen to this podcast on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcast. And lastly, you can um follow the sh- uh, support the show on Patreon for only three dollars a month. You get extra exclusive content, for instance, weekly power rankings across the whole NFL 1 through 32, stacking them up. Anyways, if that's patreon.com slash around the slice. Anyways, guys, um, this has been quite the 
um, quite something of an episode, to say the least. Anyways, I will see you, uh, what is it, Monday today. So I'll see you Thursday and no, today's Tuesday. I'll see you Thursday in two days for the Bills-Jets game, which is this Sunday for that preview. Anyways, thank you for tuning in today. Bye.